called Fantasy Experts Podcast. Oh, there goes the intro music. music had been so good we had been so good for the last couple of weeks with not having it it fall out on me but uh, i pressed start nothing happened um but thank you guys for tuning in to the so-called fantasy experts fantasy baseball podcast talking early season hot stove uh, i've got friends of the podcast dan dominic back with us dan how are you i'm doing well uh I'm much better now, now that the uh, snow, yes, snow that was here in Pittsburgh earlier today is finally gone. Um, so uh, other than that, I'm having a great day. How about you, Travis? Uh, there was really snow in Pittsburgh this, this morning. There was really snow in Pittsburgh this morning. And in fact, there's snow in our forecast overnight tonight as well. Yes. See, I still, I, I live in New York. Um, and I still just, when I walk out of like a restaurant at night, for a movie, I just assume it's going to be 25 degrees. I've just come to accept. <laughs> I've accepted our fate as like an Arctic region now. Um, so mm-hmm. it's always a nice surprise what it is. Like on Saturday night, it was 60 degrees. So that was that was a pleasant surprise. I'm sorry for your your snow. That sounds yeah. Well, I'm tough. actually I I don't feel too bad. I'm actually watching the Tigers Yankees game in the background right now. And they are actually playing in snow as we speak. Oh, my God. (laughs) I love April baseball. I love it. (laughs) Um, But it has been a little while since you've been on the pod, so why don't you shout out a little bit of your information so where people can find you on Twitter, all that good stuff. Sure, sure. So uh, I do, uh, like Travis, I uh, contribute to so-called fantasy experts. Uh, I've haven't written in a little while. Uh, hopefully, I can change that here in the very near future. But um, I will tout myself. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into it at some point in time. But if uh, if you drafted Joey Votto, according to my preseason article over at So-Called Fantasy Experts, I'm sure you're very happy with me right now. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Azuri1985, A-Z-Z-U-R-R-I-1985. Uh, and if you ever have any questions, please feel free to uh, – Drop me a tweet. I'm always happy to talk fantasy baseball with anyone. Ah, yes. Joey Votto. What a great and terrible story all at the same time. Um, <laughs> I had I had him last year. And that's one of the hardest things I've come to realize with fantasy baseball is just if you have a guy who underperforms or is hurt one year, like what do you do with him the next year? Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I did not draft Joey Votto in my league. Uh, <laughs> And I'm sorely regretting that. But uh, what? Well, before before we get into what's going on right now, why did you? Why were you so high on Joey Votto? What uh, was it? Just you thought well, the injuries were a fluky thing last year? Well, it's not so much that they were a fluky thing. Uh, and by the way, uh, I'm sure if you dig long enough through the so-called fantasy experts website, you will be able to find uh, to find my article. But basically. There were a few key things about Votto that really stood out as a fluke season, if you will. The the injuries were real. They were legit. Um, As somebody who's had meniscus surgery myself, I can tell you that uh, having a quad muscle injury after meniscus surgery is a very common thing. It's a very common problem. So I'm not surprised he had some of those injury problems last year. But the big thing that made me so high on him going into this season was that his peripherals in general were at or better than his career averages across the board. He was hitting fewer ground balls, more line drives, more fly balls. Uh, the on-base percentage was still there. His, his hard-hit contact rates were all still there, and he saw just an absolute precipitous fall in his home run fly ball rates last year. And to me... That suggests that either the injury was sapping his power or he was having terrible luck. And 
as evidence so far this season, he looks trimmer. He looks like he's lost some weight. He looks like he's in great shape. And the power very clearly seems to be back. And so I, I expect, I definitely expect him to push to challenge 30 home runs or maybe even more at this rate. I, yeah, that Reds offense does not seem to be slowing down. And Joy seems to be the catalyst of it. Um, just from watching him a little bit this year, it seems like he's been a little more aggressive um, at the plate. I know he's always had that reputation of having such a good eye for the ball that he takes mm-hmm. he takes so many mm-hmm. walks. So there'll be guys on second and third, and he'll he'll just walk, and then the next guy up, Jay Bruce, will fly out or something, and they'll score no runs. Uh, maybe pitchers exactly. are just maybe people weren't as afraid of him after last year, so people are throwing him more stuff to hit. But uh, yeah. either way, well, he, I looks, mean, if you... he looks fantastic. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his his overall line this year, I mean, in 65 plate appearances, he's walked 12 times already. He's walking in roughly 20% of his plate appearances, but he's still got six home runs to go with that. So it's not that – I don't think it's necessarily that he's being more aggressive, so to speak. I think it's that he's he's still showing that ability to have such a great eye at the plate – but when he's getting his pitch, when he's getting that meatball down the center of the plate on a 2-0, 3-0 count, maybe at that point it's sort of a micromanaged aggression. That on that on In that count, he's being more aggressive. And instead of automatically taking that pitch, maybe now he's swinging at it a little more. And that's maybe leading to some of the uh, nice power boosts that we're seeing so far this year. Well, I wish we talked about this before all the drafts. Because uh, <laughs> I read your article. If anybody out there wants to go back and look at it, just search Joey Votto on the site. It should be the first article that comes up. Um, but I read the article. I was like, okay, Joey Votto, maybe I'll think about it. I don't know. I'm not sold. And uh, I could definitely be u- using his uh, power. My corner <laughs> field slots are full of Edwin Encarnacion slump and Adrian Beltre's even more extreme slump. So just some some production from there would have been nice. But uh, (laughs) while we're talking about teams, we haven't had you on in a while. How how did your drafts turn out? I know we were talking a little bit before we got on air about J.J. Hardy, who was a Mm -hmm. favorite of Mm -hmm. yours last time. How how did the rest of your draft season turn out besides his ongoing injury? Well, I I actually cut down on my – on the number of teams I have this year, I'm only in three leagues this year. Um, okay. So it's, it's, a, it's down a little bit, so I don't have as wide a variation of results. Um, but I do have three leagues I'm in, and they all could not really be much different from each other. Um, one is a head-to-head categories league, one is a roto league, and one is a points league. So I play in a little bit of everything. I play in a mixed bag of sorts. The points league's a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a struggle, and that's <laughs> typically because points leagues, quite frankly, let's just be honest about it, points leagues are all about pitching statistics, and specifically, yeah. they are all about wins. If you you, it doesn't matter how good your pitchers are, if they're not getting wins, or worse, if they're taking losses, you're going to struggle. And unfortunately, that's been how the points league has gone so far. My roto league, I am kind of middle of the pack. Um, the pitching has not lived up to my expectations. Uh, I did draft. It's a 14-team league. I have uh, Hamels and Samarja fronting my rotation. The problem that I've had has been that uh, my bullpen just has not really held up of sorts. Uh, Early on in the year, Steve Ciszek was having some troubles in Miami. Uh, Neftali Feliz has had uh, has had some of his own struggles so far this year. Uh, and quite frankly, the power that I was anticipating with this team has just not been there. Um, you know, a team with Goldschmidt, with Josh Donaldson, with Matt Holliday, Ryan Braun. Um, you know, Neil Walker and Chase Utley as my second baseman and my middle infielder. In a 14-team league, I would think that I'd be well off in power, and the power just hasn't been there. So I'm kind of sitting in that seventh, eighth range. I'm, I'm, you know, not too far out of it, but far enough out that I have some work to do. My head-to-head league, I'm in a tie for first place as far as best record, and of course, that's what I'm used to. I'm used to head-to-head. That's how I got my start in fantasy baseball as a fantasy football convert. Um, I admit that Roto is my favorite style of play, but um, 
you know, my head-to-head league is my home league. That's the league that's with all my college buddies, so that's the one I, I enjoy the most in that sense. And uh, I'm doing pretty well in that one. So, I, you know, all in all, I guess one out of three isn't terrible in fantasy baseball. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Uh, and it is interesting, as you said, that your favorite one was the one with your college buddies. Uh, and I found my favorite leagues have just been the ones where, like, I've been in the longest with the, the people I knew since high school, even if it's only, like, a 12-team mm-hmm. head-to-head league that I've been playing in since I was 17 or 16. It's like, man, if I was, like, the moves people made when I was 16, like, the people who just were on the waiver wire, like, mm-hmm. if, if, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff would never happen now. And it's just funny to look back on stuff like um, that. But you were talking about your bullpen struggle there for a second. To uh, yes. go down a sob story of mine, uh, I, don't, I think I was talking to Joe Bond a few weeks ago about Joe Nathan and how I thought mm-hmm. I took him in my auction for a dollar flyer. And then that first day he came out, got a, got a save. I was feeling good. I have two other closers. I have Chapman uh, in Cincinnati and Glenn Perkins on the Twins, so mm-hmm. he's not going to get too, uh, too many saves because the Twins look pretty awful so far. Sure. Um, I'm thinking, okay, I can take the four ERA of Nathan if he gets me 25 saves. Then he gets hurt on the first day. Then he's coming back, and now today <laughs> he hears something pop in his elbow. Like, oh god, he's going to have Tommy John surgery, and it's just going to be a waste of a, a waste of a uh, nice fantasy baseball strategy because nobody wanted to take Joe Nathan. Uh, and I'll take I'll take the struggle if he can give me a few saves, and uh, it, it has not worked out much. Yeah, I, I I gotta say I feel I feel bad for Nathan. I mean I know that he has not been very good of late, and it has uh, maybe made his fantasy owners not appreciate him all that much. Um, but I mean, given his age and given the uh, the apparent seriousness of this injury uh, severity, I should say, not seriousness. What am I thinking? Um, <laughs> given the apparent severity of the injury. Um, you know, there may be some concern that his career's over at this point. I mean, if, if yeah. given his age, if we're looking at Tommy John or we're looking at, you know, uh, a, a broken arm or even, um, you know, we're talking about his season being over, and, and especially if it's a Tommy John surgery kind of case, we're looking at possibly his career. Yeah, it definitely. And the thing that really sold me on Joe Nathan was he's had, I think when he was in Texas, perhaps, he had one very, very bad year. Uh, where mm-hmm. his ERA was around four. And then the next two years, he came back and was lights out. And this was still in his late 30s. It wasn't like he was 24. Um, so I, just, I thought maybe he just had a bad year in in Detroit. He bounced back. And Detroit's going to win games, as we've seen so far. Like, Soria has, has five saves already. Um, so I thought, I thought it was a sound strategy, but it has not worked out too much for me. Huh, but the injury speaking of closers, have... not to not to hijack you too much here, but no, go for speaking it. of closers, uh, I gotta say, I the, the guy that really concerns me right now um, is Mark Melanson. Mark Melanson is really uh, there's some real red flags there right now. Um, yeah, he just you know, blew up I mean, the, last night, I believe. Exactly, and yeah. here's the most concerning thing. The, the, the concerning thing isn't necessarily that. He had the bad performance. I mean, they happen, especially this this early in the season. What concerns me is he was topping out with his cutter at 89 last night. I mean, we're talking three to four miles an hour below where he was last season with his average cutter velocity. Um, Now, granted, he did have a lower velocity to start the season last year, but the Pirates have to be concerned right now. If if he's going to sit at that velocity for too much longer, I mean, he's looking so hittable right now. That that could be a massive bust for fantasy owners, myself included. He was the number one closer I took in, in uh, my home league, and uh, he's looking like he could potentially be a massive bust. He, yeah, he was definitely one of the people who, coming into the season – uh, I wouldn't say he was in that elite category of the Kimbrels and the Hollands of the world, but he was seen as one of the more like safe picks to, to draft mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. up there with like uh, Cody Allen or Zach Britton, I guess. Maybe not Zach mm-hmm, Britton, mm-hmm. but but you would you feel all right. I didn't get Chapman. I didn't get Kimbrel. I feel pretty good taking Melanson. The Pirates are a good team. He was pretty shut down last year, but it might just be 
the curse of Pittsburgh. Uh, Jason yeah. really looked fantastic that first year and then fell apart the second mm-hmm. season, and then mm-hmm. Melanson came in. Um, I was looking after I saw him blow out save last night, and you know, obviously, say blown saves happen early in the season, and sure. Curtis was getting their grooves. But uh, I was looking at Tony Watson. I thought he might be a nice pickup if you were uh, speculating on him losing his job for all of you who have no saves out there and are looking. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you as a sleeper, too, just not to spend too much more time on this subject, because I know you have a lot uh, for us to discuss tonight. But yeah, no, if, let's just for, go with for, it. For anybody who is looking for a real deep sleeper um, and who isn't very familiar with Pittsburgh, with the Pirates this year, uh, is Archimedes Caminero. Um, besides being a very fun name to say, uh, he's sort of Pittsburgh's Araldus Chapman in the making. Um, he's, a, he's hitting triple digits pretty regularly with his fastball when he's coming in. Now, currently, he's pitching mainly in the seventh inning in front of Watson. But, um, you know, Watson hasn't been terribly great. He hasn't been as bad as Melanson has been, but he hasn't been terribly great so far this year either. And being a lefty, um, maybe there's some of that, whether you agree with it or not, maybe there's some of that mentality even with Hurdle of not wanting to use a lefty as a closer. Um, That may give Caminero a potential route to saves in the event that Melanson does lose the role. Uh, you make some good points there, mostly that his name is Archimedes, and that would be very fun to say. <laughs> uh, it just took me about two minutes to, to find his page because there's a Q. If you're trying to find it, his name is spelled A-R-Q, which is what threw me off. But um, yes. I, I found usually when it comes to like picking up uh, closers who come through, uh, who will get the job during the season, I should say, it's not usually – well, the guys who are sort of those closers in waiting, they get the job in the first month. But a month mm-hmm. or two down mm-hmm. the road, it, it's it t- tends to be those seventh inning guys who are just lights out or uh, striking people out, giving up no hits that nobody really knows about. So Archimedes will definitely be on my watch list, as uh, I hope they'll be on everybody else's, because you were sitting, you were so right with Joey Votto. I feel like I should just take everything you say at face value. <laughs> uh, well, don't worry. When we get if we start touch, talking more about pitching staffs, for example, you'll have plenty of reasons to not want to take any of my advice. So well, we'll um, get to there. But um, yeah. I did. That's a nice transition, honestly, because I was going to just go into the the pitching struggles. I mean, it may be uh, like the league wide ERA isn't down or anything like that, but it just seems to me a lot of a lot of guys who people were very high on to start the season have had one or two bad starts. Uh, I know Seattle. Like I have a few Seattle guys, and they're just have been tanking. Besides Felix Hernandez, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what do you, what do you think is going on with like a Iwakuma or a Paxton or some of the guys in Washington even have not been pitching up to their you know their hype? You think it's just early season well, struggles, or? Well, you know, with Seattle specifically, I think there's a lot of youth in that rotation. Obviously not, behind, <clears throat> obviously not behind, uh, not not with Felix and Iwakuma, but yeah. I mean. Paxton and Taewon Walker are both still very young. I mean, Walker went, had that crazy spell where he was sort of back and forth, like he seemed to be in a a doghouse kind of situation with Lloyd yeah. McClendon. Um, and and Paxton, I mean, Paxton was great. I, I Paxton was a big contributor towards towards a championship run of mine in one league last year. But he's still a a, a relatively young pitcher at this point, and um, you know maybe it's some combination of early season jitters, maybe it's some some element of added pressure. Um, you know, I mean, Seattle was uh, sort of a, a sexy pick to contend last year. Then they go and add Nelson Cruz this offseason. So pressure is really high. Expectations are really high in Seattle for this season. And also in Washington. Pressure is really high there, so yeah, you know, maybe we're seeing a few guys who just are, whether they're trying to get in the groove or whether the pressure is somehow getting to them, they're sort of pushing too much, forcing too much, you know, who knows, but, um, you know, and I'm, I'm not really terribly concerned about either team, to be honest, at this point. Um, you know, generally, as a rule, I don't start to really uh, – panic or buy into starts 
unless we're at least a month into the season. These first two, three weeks, you know, you're still getting guys who are adjusting, who are getting back into the groove of things. Come early to mid-May, that's when I'll really sit down, evaluate my whole team, and say, okay, I need to, I'm, my pitching's awful, I need to go make a trade, or, you know, this guy's a hot start is legit, I need to go get maximum value for him, you know, things like that. So, uh, would you say you don't you don't dive into the and not to get off the pitching thing, which I want to get back to, but are you not diving into the the free agent pool this early? Are you not jumping in for um, like how how do you approach that for the free? Agency? I'm looking uh, this early in the season as far as the free agent pool, the waiver wire pool. I'm looking more towards jumping on other owners' mistakes. Okay, that's. Uh, um, that's what I, I've been hearing from a couple guys, and that's what I do. But uh, just interesting. Exactly. I mean, for example, in just the you know primarily tonight, I'm going to reference my my home league a lot. But in in that particular league, for example, already this season, we've uh, I've seen Jose Quintana, Elvis Andrews, Daniel Murphy, Oswaldo Arcia, um, all of them have been dropped among others already this season. Um, so, like, for example, um, I already um, I used my number one waiver priority on Jose Quintana. He was dropped after the first start of the season, so I went and picked him up. Um, and granted, he gave me one great start that, that second start of the season where he went six shutout. He wasn't so great this last time out. But, you know, uh, this early in the year, I'm looking more towards other owners' mistakes and taking advantage of those mistakes. Um, you know, I'm not really buying into – the crazy hot starts. I'm not buying into, for example, the uh, the Kevin Kiermeyers of the of the uh, league this early, and I'm also not panicking and dropping the Matt Latoses or the Mike Fierses of the league either this early on. It's still way too early to take that kind of panic move. Yeah, um, I could definitely relate to that. Last year, um, I had Jose Reyes, and similar to this year, he got hurt within the first week. So I'm mm-hmm. really thinking. I'm so stupid. Why did I take Jose Reyes? He always gets hurt. Uh, so I had to play. Mm-hmm. Jor- I had to play Jordy Mercer for a week, but then somebody dropped Alcides Escobar, who was O for the first twenty at bats, and then he was a great mm-hmm. shortstop for me the rest of the way. Um, exactly. Exactly. I, uh, here's I think, a, a prime example. Back in 2011, um, because I always I, I like to have these trophies every now and then just for my own yeah, self right? team. Back in 2011. Two starts into the season, James Shields' owner dropped him. I had number one waiver priority, so I claimed him and rode him to a 2.8 ERA uh, onto a championship. You know, that's what I'm looking for this early in the season as far as the free agent market goes. Now, there are players I'm going to keep my eye on during free agency, you know, this early in the year. I'm going to have my watch list. I'm going to be keeping an eye on guys like, um, you know, like, uh, prospects like Syndergaard or Andrew Heaney. I'm going to have a guy like Patrick Corbin, who I'm going to keep an eye on because he may be up in a month, a month and a half. He may be back. I'm keeping an eye on guys like um, Michael Saunders, who could be a very nice target in Toronto once he's healthy. But I'm not making any moves for those guys just yet. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's always tough the first month just to figure out what what do you want to do? Do you want to jump in? Because do you want to try to go get those hot players and see if they're you know a three month hot player or a three week hot player? Do you drop the pitchers? Do you keep the pitchers? I know in my league, um, I I had to leave before the final pick, and I was auto drafted Alfredo Simone, and I have mm-hmm. had absolutely I still have absolutely zero faith in Alfredo Simone. But now every start he goes out <laughs> and is giving up. Like he goes eight innings, gives up one run, and wins, and it's just it's killing me. Like mm-hmm. oh my god, mm-hmm. I, I I picked up Brandon Morrow in his place, who's who's pitching well, um, but it's just like oh god, so I not have dropped him. Maybe he's gonna do it for real, and you kind of just have yeah. to tell yourself yeah. his uh, of course. Of course. his numbers over the last ten years or whatever he's been in the major leagues have been terrible. This mm-hmm. seems more fluky Absolutely. than anything. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with your sort of strategy there with looking for some of those injured guys like Patrick Corbin, um, and, and sort of waiting for them to come back uh, because it's always a nice—you don't usually find somebody of his quality on the wafer wires. Like this last weekend, there was a whole debate in one of my leagues about uh, injured rules because 
six people were waiting there Sunday morning until Denard's fan got called up or called okay. uh, brought off the DL. It's just it's funny how an injured player can impact a team so much because because of how good they are. Um, I think a lot of people don't don't look at the injured players or don't follow injuries until like they would say Hunter Pence is off the DL. Then you would go look for him on the waiver wire, and he probably won't be on a waiver wire anywhere. But exactly. You kind of have to do your homework beforehand. See, okay, he's four weeks out. He's two weeks out. He's one week out. All right, they think he might be back Thursday night. You, just, you need to sort of keep up with these things to get those uh, those types of guys. <clears throat> but I think uh, I don't know it's been a, it's been a few weeks. Um, what has been your favorite storyline so far? What have you, what have you been enjoying the most? Has it been these uh, the Chris Bryant? Saga has it been the Mets, <laughs> the Mets looking like the 1986 Mets? Has it been Nelson Cruz hitting a home run every third pitch or something like that? What what has really caught your eye so far uh, this season? Well, to to kind of get off on a lighthearted note, to kind of get started on a lighthearted note, um, the Brian Price blow up this week was a fantastic <laughs> story. Um, that was uh, it's, if if any listeners if if you have not some if somehow you haven't heard about this please go look it up it was hilarious i i honestly don't know how you can even possibly drop the f bomb 77 times in a 5 minute rant i don't know how you do it i seriously and i can be pretty vulgar at times but i think i would have to legitimately try to drop yeah. it that many times in a 5 minute rant so um Kudos to kudos to him uh, for for being able to pull that feat off. Um, the uh, from a fan perspective, my favorite storyline has been watching the absolute incompetence and ineptitude of my Phillies. Um, I'm a, how, I'm a, how is that your favorite? They're terrible. Because the more terrible they are, dear God, whatever you know seances I have to do or rituals I have to perform to get this to happen in my bedroom, I will do it. But the the worse they are, hopefully, the sooner Ruben Amaro Jr. gets the axe. So, yeah. you know, from a fan perspective, that's kind of a, well, a wishful thinking sort of thing. But on a serious note, um, the the Brian story has been very interesting for several reasons. Uh, obviously, there was the feud back and forth with uh, with Scott Boris and, and Theo Epstein. Um, now, I don't know if you heard about this this morning, but Boris is trying to get a panel together to actually consider um, rules changes, essentially, to force, um, to, to take the decision about sending players like Brian down at the beginning of the season, to take it out of the club's hands. Um, and I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but if it does... Uh, that's a huge development. But that being said, his calling up was so entertaining to watch, especially on Twitter. Uh, I'm very active yeah. on Twitter. And I also kind of enjoy the sort of being a sort of snarky troll at some points. Um, hmm. And it was very fun, that first game, of um, intentionally trolling through hyperbole and exaggeration about the fact that Bryant was, had struck out in 100% of his at-bats at one point in that game. and yeah. So it was a lot of fun. But um, seeing some of the questions that people like Tristan Cockroft were getting and Eric Carabell were getting about, um, should, I, should I trade Evan Longoria for Chris Bryant? Should I, should I drop Kyle Seeger to go pick up Chris Bryant? Like, these are real questions that real fantasy baseball players are asking. And I'm just sitting back thinking, why am I not in leagues with you? Um, <laughs> well, it would be no fun. They'd, they'd all be dropping players for Chris Bryant, and you'd just run away with it. Well, I mean, from a title perspective, it would be a lot of fun. But you're right. Yes, from a competition true. standpoint, it would not be very fun at all. But, you know, I think that's been the most entertaining thing um, is watching that and watching how it's affected not just how it's affecting the debate between calling players up through the, the Boris V. Epstein situation, but also the overreaction amongst fantasy players. Um, and I guess not to ramble on too much longer, but the last story that, that it has been pretty um, entertaining to me has been the uh, – 
the prevalence of beanball so far this season. There's been a lot of beanball going on so far. Yeah, I definitely I enjoyed mean, the uh, the Oakland Kansas City uh, feud that's sort of been taking see, off. It's, it's it's funny that you mentioned. I mean, I'm I'm the feud the the animosity, the rivalry between the teams is awesome. It's awesome yeah. for baseball. But I actually was in a a very heated debate with some of my um, some of my friends over the week about this. I'm a pretty staunch anti beanball advocate because to me the idea of a pitcher being able to 100% all the time control their beanball. I mean, let's say let's say that uh, when Herrera threw that pitch at Laurie, let's say he slipped. He didn't have control of it. There was uh, you know moisture on his hand, something like that, and it slips and actually hits Laurie in the head, hit, drills him in the face. You know, could could Herrera throw that pitch with 100% certainty, knowing that he was going to completely miss Laurie? I don't know. And so to me, that's why I kind of am a little risk-averse to it. I've never been a big fan of beanball. But the 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 energy that was created by that situation was good for baseball. Beanball, maybe yeah. not so much. I, I've never been a fan of it. Um, and this is probably for more selfish reasons than player health. But I just – I never want, like, my pitchers putting guys on base. Uh, I remember oh, that's the other part of it. Absolutely. When was it? Two – so not last season, but two seasons ago when A-Rod was allowed to play uh, before he got suspended. He, he came back mm-hmm. from an injury or something, and they were playing the Red Sox. Uh, and what was his name? He, I, I can't remember the pitcher's name, and I should. He was on the Cubs for a long time. He, he, was, he ended his career on the Red Sox. But he beamed him. Dempster. Just be, Dempster. Dempster beamed him just because, you know, the whole steroids thing. And then I think the Red Sox were up like three or four runs, and that sort of – galvanized the Yankees to go on a run and they almost made the playoffs that year. And that was sort of like the starting point uh, for, for their, their, their push. I was just mm-hmm. like, if mm-hmm. I, if I had Dempster and he was winning that game and he beamed A-Rod and that sort of, and maybe, you know, he just lost control after that or he, he got tired, but it sort of seemed like, uh, by putting A-Rod on, he let this game go. Um, and I just, I just never want my pitchers to have, have guys on base. It's, it's tough. Um, but, but my favorite, part of this season has been the uh, I've really enjoyed the A's um, and just their ability to not turn into a black hole of sucking after they got you mean the, the uh, you mean whatever devil magic or which That's, witchcraft voodoo they have going on I mean all due respect and I, I have some friends who are A's fans I, I'm happy that they're they're competitive because I, I really do like what Billy Bean's done over all the years there I look at that lineup on paper top to bottom and I have no idea how they're a top five offense right now. I don't get it, but it is an awesome story that they're pulling it off. I just don't know how they're achieving it. I I have no idea either. Um, but I, I swear, I swear, listeners, I said this. We can even ask me on Twitter before the season started, or, or maybe not before the season started. Probably a few days in, somebody dropped Josh Reddick because he was on the DL in my league, and I picked him up. And my justification was, Oakland seems like they should suck this year. And since they've seen that, they're not going to. They're going to be like, like a juggernaut. Because then once everybody thinks they're dead, <laughs> it's just like it fuels their their ability to hit the ball out of the park. It's amazing. Uh, I don't. Marcus Simeon is hitting home runs all over the place, and he was. Oh, per- I, I'm a I'm a big yeah I'm a big Marcus Simeon fan this year. Big <laughs> fan, and with him playing shortstop now. I don't know how he is in other leagues, Yahoo, CBS, etc. But on ESPN, he fills second base, shortstop, and third base, and he's going to play every day in Oakland. I, I think I'm, I'm a big fan of Semyon's this year, absolutely. Like that's the type of he was. He wasn't really giving you anything last year in mm-hmm, Chicago mm-hmm. the White Sox, uh, and even Brett Lowry. I mean, he hasn't produced as much as everybody thought because Brett Lowry was like a super sleeper darling coming into mm-hmm, the season. Mm-hmm. But that team just continues to score runs, hit home runs. Like Mark Connor came out of nowhere. Uh, exactly, exactly. And just looking it up now on CBS, yeah, Semyon can play every infield spot except for first base. So he gives you lots of yeah. uh, flexibility. It's just it's I so mean, strange. I mean, he's he's just he's a he's a 
Ben Zobrist light. He's a diet Ben Zobrist, really. I mean, with the with the difference being that instead of second base shortstop outfield, he fills second base shortstop third base. So, I mean, if he's going to hit the way he's hit so far this year, if he's going to play every day, yeah, I think you could get maybe 12-12 out of him or even potentially 15-15 out of him, and that would be fantastic. I mean, if if you're somebody like me who's playing Chase Utley in your everyday lineup, you know, Semyon's a nice little fallback option if Chase doesn't bounce back from his early season struggles so far. Yeah, I, I think the uh, that voodoo magic. I think when they <laughs> when they when they acquired Ben Zobrist, who seemed like the most perfect player to play for the A's, things sort of turned. Because uh, up until that point in the offseason, everyone thought like, "What the hell are they doing?" And then they got Ben Zobrist, and people were like, "Oh, it all makes sense now." I'm not sure what it is, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. have Ben Zobrist. Mm-hmm. They're going to be fine. Like they don't have their closer. They don't have Coco Crisp. Uh, they're still missing Jared Parker and AJ Griffin and somehow Kendall Graveman and, uh, and Sonny Gray, man, looks fantastic. Uh, yes. Yes. He absolutely does. Which is something I under, I guess I, I'd say I undervalued him this season. Um, I thought a lot of people said he was in that second tier of starting pitchers, like below the Kershaw's and the places. I sort of thought he was in the a middling third, like a three star as opposed to a four star. And I seem to be very wrong about that. Yeah, I would say coming into the season, I would have definitely agreed with you on that on Sonny Gray. Um, I would have had him maybe, maybe as, depending on the size of the league, maybe somewhere in that uh, fringe SP2 category, maybe more of a of, of an SP3, you know, maybe somewhere in that uh, top 30 to top 40 range. I certainly wouldn't have had him anywhere near my top 25, but he's off to a great start so far. And there's there, there's certainly the tools there, and especially if guys like, um, uh, just to name a few of my pitching staff names, if guys like Matt Latos and Alex Wood and Mike Fires and uh, Madison Bumgarner, if, if these guys are going to continue to struggle like they have so far this year, um, there's no reason Sonny Gray couldn't move up a tier or even two tiers in that system. Yeah, it's always. I, I think the uh, the two hardest, if we're going tier five, being Kershaw, tier one being just the streamers. Um, I tend to find picking pitchers in tier four, like the the second tier of pitchers and the fourth tier, always is kind of a crapshoot. You never know who's going to bomb out and who's going to mm-hmm. who's who's going to keep playing. Uh, like some, I find it's better to at the end of a draft, take the guy. I do a lot of auction drafts, so I, I prefer taking a pitcher at a quarter or a dollar, whatever the minimum bid is, as opposed to taking, like, I, I made a mistake this year of taking um, Kyle Loesch for a dollar fifty. It's like, I don't know why I bid up so high on Kyle Loesch. He could be he could be fine. I'm not, he's had three very, very bad starts, but everybody in um, Milwaukee has been bad. So sure. I like it. Oh, yeah. And it's nothing against Kyle Loesch. He could be great, but just there's definitely – Equal value going at, at at a quarter as opposed to a dollar fifty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, so I, just, I I I definitely agree with you. I don't have terribly too much auction experience, but I would I would I would tend to agree with you in in that sense that um, you know really when you get to the end of drafts like that, whether it's the end of an auction or if it's the end of a snake draft, um, really. Uh, what's going to decide who wins or who loses the league is going to be who's done their homework, who's, who's really um, dug up that sleeper, who's really um, uh, kind of done all the research they need to do. Like, for example, um, uh, Stefan Zonia and I were uh, exchanging last week on Twitter some discussion about Archie Bradley um, in particular, and I actually grabbed Archie Bradley in every league I could when the uh, the Diamondbacks the, 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 when the D-backs made that uh, Trevor Cahill trade. Uh, I, I went and grabbed Archie Bradley everywhere I possibly could, and frankly, Bradley's been the second best pitcher on my staff. Like I said, Bumgarner's had his early struggles. Um, Latos has been awful. Fires has been awful. Quintana has not been very good. Alex Wood is been okay but has a terrible whip so far this season so you know uh, really Bradley's kind of helped carry me in some of the leagues that that I'm that I own him in because uh, he's kind of been a nice little number two punch for me behind Felix 
It's um, it's an interesting. Oh, see a Felix and Bumgarner. I remember. Oh, I remember. We talked about this when we. Were yes, about we talked about this last strategy. time I was on in this home league. Yes, I had Felix. Yeah, so yeah. So think about this way. This was my. Uh, just to spend a few seconds on this. My uh, this particular home league draft, my pitching staff ended up shaping up to be Felix Bumgarner, Alex Wood, Matt Latos, Andrew Kashner, um, and Mike Fires. That was my top six. Um, I've since traded Kashner for Mesoraco, which uh, you know we were talking earlier before the show about uh, how I had drafted Weeders in this particular league. So I traded Kashner for Mesoraco. Two or three days later, he suffers his hip impingement. And, um, yeah, that particular pitching staff, which I was arguing and taunting my league mates was the best in the league on paper, is currently sitting with the second-worst ERA and the worst whip in the entire league. Hmm. Um, yeah, so like like I was saying or like I was alluding to a little bit earlier today, um, I will brag about that Votto pick until the day I die, but that doesn't mean you should believe everything I say or suggest. Well, <laughs> that's, that's good to know, Dan. But uh... – I, the Archie Bradley thing I find very interesting um, because in this world of like the, the prospect world has become like a like people are obsessed with prospects now and it's all Mike Trout. Absolutely. But Archie Bradley was the hot name last off season because uh, Patrick Corbin I think went down with Tommy John right before the season started. Everybody thought, all right, Archie Bradley's the guy. He's their top prospect. They're going to throw him in there. He's got all the mm-hmm. strikeout potential, and they never did. They never brought him up. Uh, and in this offseason, he was sort of overwhelmed by pitchers like Carlos Rodon on the White Sox or some of the Cubs mm-hmm. prospects. But he was still a phenomenal prospect. And last year, he was probably a top five prospect going in drafts. Um, and this year, a lot of people, I think, just sort of forgot about him. They were just like, oh, he was he's old news. But, like, he's only 22 or something like that. Uh, yeah, he's, he, he's I, I believe, 20, he's somewhere in that range, 22, 23. But... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is funny when you say that because, uh, like I said, I did my homework on him and was, and was ready for him this year, but um, he was still, believe it or not, he was still, according to Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus, um, entered the season as a top 10 overall prospect in, in all of uh, Major League Baseball. But you're right, he got totally overshadowed this year by players like Chris Bryant and Carlos Rodon, uh, his teammate Yasmani Tomas, um, players like Mookie Betts. Everybody was, I mean, Mookie Betts, when in some drafts he was going in the top 100. In, in my home league, he went in the top 60. He went drafted overall. But there's Archie Bradley, um, who is quietly putting together a really nice season. Now, I still think all in all the walks are going to be a problem for him. He's got to find a way to be more efficient with his pitches, or he's going to uh, tank quickly once teams make adjustments and make him start throwing more pitches. But, yeah, I mean, it is is a very uh, short-term memory world when it comes to fantasy baseball players and their love or willingness to write off prospects. Yeah. Uh, like, and Archie Bradley wasn't terrible. Uh, I mean, I don't have his minor league stats in front of me, but like, I don't, I don't remember stories coming out that like, wow, Archie Bradley can't pitch at AAA anymore. Archie Bradley can't pitch. He was a good pitcher in the minor leagues. And I, it's just weird that players like that fall through the cracks. Um, uh, because, hey, everybody wants to talk about Chris Bryant. And in every league, only one person can have Chris Bryant. So you'd think, you'd think people want to talk about other, other prospects. But it comes to that part of the show where we need to talk about Chris Bryant because he is finally in the major leagues. Um, <laughs> and it, it warrants some discussion. I know we were talking a little bit before about those crazy, uh, some crazy folks out there trying to drop their star third baseman for Chris Bryant. But what mm-hmm. do you think is a... A realistic season for him. You think he can hit 20 home runs and bat 250? Uh, he's driven in a few runs so far. So, I frankly, I think a 2250 line is a very reasonable line. I really do, and it's not because I necessarily think that he's going to come up and um, immediately uh, catch fire in the bigs. It's that he's playing most of a full season here. Um, yeah. You know, we're not talking about um, a situation where he was held out for Super Two status. I mean, the Cubs 
kept him down for the 11 days they needed to to get the extra year of free agency, the, the extra year of team control, and were content with that and brought him up. So, I mean, essentially, in that, I believe it was there was a rain delay or a, a postponement that the Cubs had in there as well. Um, oh, that's right, because of the, uh, the the bathroom debacle they had oh, opening yeah. weekend. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. But they had, they had a game postponed. So, in reality, I believe he only was in the minors for eight games. So, I mean, if he comes up and plays, let's say he gets 145 games, 150 games in total. Um, yeah, I think a 2250 line, given his skill set, is a very reasonable um, projection for him. I, I, wouldn't care, I wouldn't tend to go much higher than that because I think he may see a period here where he gets off to a little bit of a hot start and pitchers start to adjust and he starts to slump a little bit. But um, I do think that just from a sheer quantity standpoint, um, the 20 home runs is a very manageable figure, especially if he continues to bat uh, cleanup. I think there will be a nice chunk of RBI, maybe somewhere in the 70 to 75 range as well to go with those 20 homers. Uh, I did find it pretty interesting um, that they're batting Rizzo second. or I, I don't know if they've been doing that a lot, but I, I think yesterday and maybe two days ago, they were, they were batting him second, which... I find, uh, I mean, Rizzo's a great hitter, so he's going to get on base. But for all of those people who are thinking Rizzo was going to improve, like he hit 29 home runs, I think, last year, but only had 77 RBIs. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people drafted Rizzo in the top, in the first round. I saw him going as high as five or six ahead of Jose Abreu or Cabrera even, thinking, okay, mm-hmm. now he's got all these guys. He's going to drive them in. He's batting second, uh, which is kind of weird to me. I mean, I get the... Idea well, there's been a um, I, yeah. I gotta say that it's been interesting um, this season. I've seen a lot of teams doing that with number two bat with with, with uh, putting their best hitters number two. I mean, um, the Rockies have done it sort of interchangeably at some points this year with Tulo and Cargo. Um, obviously, the Reds with Votto. The Cubs yeah. recently with Rizzo have started it. Um, yeah, teams have. I think what's started to develop at least early on this year is that managers and teams have been um, have found it more important to make sure that their best player gets as many at-bats as possible. And um, if you get them a couple games in that number two spot instead of number three, maybe that gets you an extra five or ten at-bats from that player. And if a couple of those turn into home runs, extra home runs they wouldn't have gotten batting out of the three or four hole, then – you benefit from it. The team benefits from it. So, um, but I do think long term, if it sticks for guys like Rizzo, then yeah, I definitely think that there could be a corresponding uh, increase in runs, but drop in RBIs that that comes as a result. Yeah, I'm sure not a lot of people are thrilled, or fantasy owners are thrilled to see Rizzo batting second. But um, I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll work it out. Mike Trout seems to handle get his. Plenty of RBIs from batting a second. Yeah, uh, how how could I forget Trout as as easily the best number two hitter in baseball? I well, Mike Trout don't know how I completely sense. forgot that one. Well, he at least makes some. You know, when you grow up, you you see the first batter is supposed to be that speed guy. The second guy is supposed to have more power, not as much speed. And Mike Trout is just the perfect baseball player. Um, yeah, so he seems absolutely. like a perfect too. But uh, I saw a tweet when Chris Bryant got called up. I don't remember who it was, but it said something like. Mike Trout has a hundred more home runs than Chris Bryant, and he's six months younger than him, which is just yeah, uh, to, yes. to paint a I mean, picture of how great Mike Trout is. Well, it shows you how great Trout is, but you know, and uh, I, I know I've taken us on a lot of tangents here so far tonight, Go but for it. it brings back into mind just how unreasonable. You know, we were talking earlier about how fantasy baseball players can can lose interest in someone so quickly. And I know that it sounds crazy to say, but um, uh, a lot of people, it shows how unreasonable people have been about Bryce Harper because Bryce Harper falls in that range too. I mean, Bryce Harper is that same age range as Trout and Bryant. But you've had so many people who have said, oh, uh, you know, Harper's stock in fantasy drafts has has been steadily going um, down, at least in non-keeper leagues because people see the missed games or they see the lack of counting stats and, oh, he's he's just not going to live up. Where's that MVP season we're expecting from Harper? And, I mean, 
we're talking about a guy who still is 22, 23 years old, and people are writing him off as as a uh, guy who might be a good player but never an MVP. I I think it's crazy. Yeah, I as a guy who owns Mike or not Mike Trout, uh, Bryce Harper last season, I can definitely tell you that the man, the relationship he had with their manager there wasn't fantastic either. Um, I think they've got along better this year, but it was just a not a great situation for him last year. I, I think he's going to be much better this season. But like God, how many people who are 22 are hitting home runs, or how many people were hitting home runs when they were 19? Like the list is pretty exactly. tiny, and to just be like, oh, he's not Mike Trout. It's like, oh, well, he's, so you're saying he's not Mickey Mantle by the time he's 22? Like that's yeah. Uh, if yeah, you, if exactly. you said it like that, it seems a lot crazier than mm-hmm. saying, oh, he's mm-hmm. not. He's not as well as Mike Trout. Um, which is, Mike Trout has just ruined, ruined things for everybody. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a good point to make. Yeah, but uh, but God, I love watching him play. Um, but well, we got about <laughs> we got about ten minutes left, nine minutes left. Uh, Chris Bryant is not the only prospect who got called up in Chicago this week. Um, both Addison Russell and Carlos Rodon, Rodon, I think it's Rodon. Both of them called out. I, th- I think you're right. It's either Rodon or Rodon. I can't remember which Rodon. one it is, but yeah. And it's also very similar to Rendon or the Cubs closer Rondon. So it's very. It's going to be a tough season yeah. for me. Not to <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, but what uh, should we be looking for? Anything out of those guys? I know Ron, Car- the guy Carlos Rodon pitched last <laughs> night. He didn't pitch. He didn't pitch fantastic, but they threw him in a tough situation. Do you? Uh, have any any linking concerns with either of them? Maybe being a little too young, maybe coming up too quickly, or you think they're uh, um, should be fine. Well, if I had a concern about being brought up too too quickly, it would be Rodon, just because we're talking about a guy who was literally just drafted, and now he's already turning around and playing for the big league club. And I mean, there's talk about. Um, him bumping Hector Nuezi out of the rotation. Now, granted, the the ceiling for Rodon is obviously much higher than it is for Hector Nuezi, but uh, I think it's just way too premature to be talking about him being part of the rotation. I do have my eye on him um, in leagues where he's available. Uh, unfortunately, I play in a lot of leagues where he's already been drafted or has already been rostered, but... Um, Addison Russell. Addison Russell, uh, it drives me nuts because I, I I had him on my watch list. I saw the the talk, the chatter from Madden that he was uh, getting ready to come up and was going to be up soon. And I had my eyes, I had my sights set on him to pick him up in the next day or two. And overnight last night, the call up occurred, and he got uh, he got scooped up in one of my leagues and I was so upset about, but um, I think, I think Rodon could have some late season value, um, especially if he's able to show coming out of the bullpen that he, uh, he has the stuff, he has the moxie um, and, or if Hector Nueza continues to struggle. But um, I think Addison Russell may have a bigger impact on 2015. Um, just because, uh, and I believe this is right, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe he's actually a shortstop on ESPN leagues at least. And yeah. he's going to play second base for the Cubs. So he's going to be able to fill both middle infield slots for you. Um, so if he comes up and is able to perform, uh, he's going to be able to fill either one of those traditionally weak positions and be able to give you a nice amount of pop and a nice amount of speed. Um, so I have my eyes on both, but I think Russell's going to have the bigger impact in 2015. Yeah, Russell is listed as a shortstop. Uh, he's been a shortstop all through his prospect career in the minors. Uh, exactly. I, that's, that's what I, I thought. And I only saw, like two days ago, Joe Madden say, oh, we're thinking about bringing up uh, Russell. We're playing him at second. Like, he played one or two games at second in the minors, and then they were just like, we're, we're yanking you up here. Um, yeah, so that's, guess, that's what's so that was that's what was so unexpected about was he only played for a game or two at second base yeah. in AAA, and they thought okay maybe he's going to take he's going to need maybe a couple of uh, a couple of games maybe a week something like that, and sure enough they called him up after maybe two games, 
at, at two games at second base and decide to make him the starter. So, yeah, kudos to anybody who grabbed him because, like I said, I think he's going to have a nice, nice value and be able to fill multiple spots for you. Yeah, I, I definitely think uh, Russell's the better pickup of the two between him and Rodon. Um, I saw someone talking, uh, maybe on pers- baseball prospectus or fan graphs or somewhere, that when Chris Sale was a prospect for the White Sox, and I didn't know this, this was before, like I really got into baseball this deeply, but he he was a, a bullpen guy for two years before they put him into the rotation. So if you're the, if you're somebody out there hoping Carlos Rodon is going to come in in three weeks and be a lights out starter, he may be a seventh inning guy until 2017 before he's in um, he's in the rotation. I don't think that's probably going to happen. But you never know. Um, I, Sale was a little younger. I think he came out of high school as opposed to uh, Rodon, who went to college. But the last thing I wanted to touch on about the Cubs is now what happens with Javi Baez. Uh, he was everybody's darling last year. And it, I mean, besides the fact that he has struggled with strikeouts mightily, there's just really nowhere for him to get in that infield now. Um, it's it's um. You know, it's like we talked about earlier. It is so funny how quickly, um, how quickly players can be given up on. Um, I mean, I think all the talent is there for Baez to be a uh, a big time contributor uh, at the big league level. But I mean, you just can't come up and strike out. In I, I think it was an insane. It was over. Percent of his at bats last year that he struck yeah. out in. It was bad. I mean, you just you just can't do that. I mean, it's just not. There's no way. There's no team that would be. I mean, Mark Reynolds has good plate discipline compared to Javi Baez. Huh. I mean, you, you just you just can't do that. And I, I think that he's going to have a really tough time because if Castro if Castro has the um, year that a lot of people expect from him. Uh, being more aggressive on the base paths with a more aggressive manager like Joe Madden, if Asin Russell plays like people expect him to, and if Chris Bryant, with Bryant and Rizzo at the corner infield spots, um, I mean, there's there's a really there's no clear path for Baez to get on the big league team. I mean, even converting him, trying to convert him to an outfielder. I mean, you've got Jorge Soler up there, you've got. Um, Arismendi Alcantara, who quite frankly may end up outplaying Baez, uh, may may end up looking better than Baez. So, I mean, maybe he finds a way to push into a corner outfield spot. Or, but other than that, he may have to wait until a trade occurs, or he may have to uh, get traded himself to find himself a path to the big leagues. And it's amazing to think of a player that people were so high on last year into this year that we may be looking at him needing to leave Chicago to be able to make a team. Yeah. It, uh, it's definitely surprising to me just sitting in a lot of those draft rooms in, you know, early March and seeing people draft Javi Baez because he was at that point, like the assumed second baseman. And now mm-hmm. he may not, he may not be in the majors at all this season. Uh, I think a big problem, and this is, I know nothing about prospect development, but last year it sort of seemed like everybody was just like, you got to call up Javi Baez. You got to call up Javi Baez, no matter what happens. And he didn't really have a fantastic season in the minor leagues last year. I was following that that pretty closely, and uh, he he was striking out a lot. He had a really bad start of the season down there. He wasn't running. I think he had foot injury, and it was just presumed like, all right, the Cubs are going to call him up in September. And I don't think they should have called him up. Uh, I think they should have left him down, left him sort of marinate a little bit longer, and then seen what they had. Uh, at the start of this year and then maybe brought him up. But, all right, so we got about a minute left. This has been a very interesting talk about the Cubs. I'm interested to see, you know, the whole Russell thing should be really, really cool. Prospects don't usually get called up out of the blue like that. Um, so I think that'll be a lot of fun. Definitely look out for him. If he's on your waiver wire, I think it's definitely worth the pickup. Uh, I think Dan would agree. But absolutely, I would I would definitely agree. If you could, if there's some way that you can get Asin Russell without having to make a trade, go get Asin Russell. You're going to want him on your team. I think I think it's hard to find really good middle infield stuff, and if you can get a guy with this pedigree, you're going to love it. But uh, Dan, thanks for thanks for coming on. I I really enjoy this. We got to get you on again a couple.
couple of weeks, maybe get a nice round table going with Joe or uh, Chris Myers or something. But this I was going to say, so- we have to get, you're going to have to get somebody else other than Joe. Otherwise we're not going to have anything to disagree on or discuss. Uh- <laughs> we'll find, we'll find somebody else, but this has been the Safe <laughs> Fantasy Experts podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>